Hello and welcome to CCTV's Channel 17 and Town Meeting Television. I'm your host, Matt Kelly, for another live candidate forum for the 2018 general election. We have two open seats for Chittenden County District 8-1 and three candidates on stage vying for those two positions. We'll meet them now. Uh, joining me is Linda Myers. She is a uh, returning uh, incumbent Republican from the district seeking to return to the State House, and she is being faced by two challengers. We have Democrat uh, Mary Beth Redman and Progressive Democrat Tanya Vihovsky. Welcome, ladies, to each of you. It's time now for our candidate opening statements. We'll allow each candidate two minutes to discuss why they're running and what issues matter most to them. And Tanya, we'll begin with you. Wonderful. I am running really because I, as a young person tr trying to come back to Vermont, so I grew up in Essex. I went to Essex High School and then left for college. And when I tried to return, really struggled with the affordability of being in Vermont and as a social worker who currently works in Essex as well as um, at Charlotte Elementary School as a school social worker, a lot of the issues that I was seeing coming through my office really struck me more as systems issues and less as individual issues. And it started to really feel like I was kind of placing band-aids on these big systems issues and I really wanted to do something to fix those systems and really build systems that work for all Vermonters. And um, so that's really what got me to want to run, to bring a new voice and a voice that I really didn't see represented in my state house um, to the table to work to build systems that work for everyone. Very good. Tanya, thank you so much. Mary Beth Redmond, your opening statement, please. Yeah, so I'm really excited to bring some fresh energy and ideas um, to the statewide considerations affecting Essex. Um, I currently serve on the Vermont Commission on Women. And um, so I'm always staying alert to the challenges that face women and girls around the state um, and looking to fast track their economic security through legislative policy making. We advise legislators on policy. Um, and my entire career has really been about public service, social justice work, um, walking alongside vulnerable populations, working for organizations like Vermont Works for Women, Dismiss of Vermont, teaching um, as a journalist. I'm a journalist by background, so teaching at St. Michael's College, the next generation of journalists to cover underrepresented communities. Um, so I feel like I have this great amalgam of um, direct service work and then also working for systems change that come together. And really, I see the run for the legislature as really the fulfillment of that work, of a life of public service work and the opportunity to work for larger scale systems change. So I'm really excited to put my name in the ring and excited to see uh, that voters will come out November 6th. Okay. Mary Beth Redmond, thank you very much. Linda, uh, your opening statement, please. Hi there. Well, first of all, I want to thank Channel 17 for giving us the opportunity to talk to the people of the Chittenden 8-1 district. Uh, we really appreciate being here. Uh, I am, in light of what uh, uh, Tanya and, Lori and Mary Beth have said, I'm the institutional memory of this trio here. <laughs> I've served in the legislature for 17 years. Um, I was 13 years on the Essex Select Board, four of those as chair. Uh, and um, I've been involved in the community, in uh, schools, in my church, and various other organizations like that. Uh, for 17 years, I was the man uh, managing editor of the Essex Reporter newspaper. So I'm certainly familiar with what's happening and has been happening and still is happening with the, with the community. 
Um, in the legislature, I served 15 years on the committee for, com uh, I'm sorry, the committee for uh, corrections and institutions. Uh, Ten of those, I was vice chair. Uh, this past biennium, I served on the Committee for Commerce and Economic Development, which was a change, but it was a very interesting and very uh, uh, informative and a good change for me. Um, I also have a degree in journalism, uh, and uh, so Mary Beth and I may be looking at, this, at things the same way in, in some issues. Uh, I'd like to go back. I'd like to uh, return and offer my services for another two years to the town of Essex. Very good. Thank you. Uh, time now to uh, just uh, begin uh, a discussion with our candidates uh, about some uh, issues that are impacting all Vermonters. They've been uh, given a list of questions here and we w may and may not uh, go directly to them. I wanted to kind of just begin our discussion and start with you, Linda, here and then go down our line here. Uh, you talk about this institutional memory and having been in the state house for so long, <laughs> and yet we seem to have so many problems still impacting the state. What do you see as the primary challenge that the state is facing and then that the Vermonters themselves are facing? Those are two different issues. Can you uh, speak to that uh, in your uh, role as uh, legislator? I feel that the state is facing um, a uh, affordability crisis. I think that um, people are having problems. Uh, as Tanya said, coming back here to live, she couldn't find a place that was affordable. Um, I hear from businesses all the time that they can bring people in, interview them, and then when they send them out to look for some place to live, they come back and they say, we can't find some place that so we can afford. What is the state doing to make it more affordable? The state is working on um, uh, uh, bringing um, workforce development. Uh, we are the fifth, we have the fifth lowest unemployment rate in the country, mm. but by the same time I hear from employers they can't hire people. They can't find people to hire. So the state itself is working on uh, uh, bringing uh, businesses to the state of Vermont. I think that is very, very important. It's something that we absolutely really need to do, and that's what we're hearing from people. Give us businesses. We can fill the jobs, and we can then work on the Vermont economy. Okay. Uh, Mary Beth, the question to you. What do you see from your viewpoint uh, in human services, et cetera, uh, teaching and things. What do you see as the main challenge that the state is facing and then the challenge that Vermonters, the citizenry, mm. are facing? I think the biggest challenge that the state faces, um, it's both a kind of a blessing and a curse. I think that um, we are a small state. Um, we have a small population. Um, so I think it's challenging at times to generate the revenue and the income that we need in order to fund a lot of the things that we want to do, things like cleaning up the lake, um, uh, you know, providing incentives to businesses to locate here. You know, that's, a, that's an ongoing issue. I mean, it's a wonderful thing because we have strong communities, we have this strong sense of knowing our neighbors and of having very localized communities with um, 
you know, wonderful schools, um, but it's very hard for us to come up with um, the revenue that we need to make a lot of the changes. I think when it comes to people, the two challenges, one of the things I've been doing um, as part of the Women's Commission is we've been traveling the state and talking to women and girls about the biggest challenges they're facing. And the number one issue that comes up is around health care and affordable housing. Those are the two issues. People are very, very stressed with how to pay for their health care, whether they're a, an individual um, paying their own premium or paying the donut hole where their insurance doesn't cover, or if they're an employer trying to provide insurance to their employees and the growing cost of that. Um, and then affordability, housing, and how people can um, find apartments, especially in Chittenden County, apartments and homes, and afford them. Yeah. Uh, Tanya, we'll move on and ask you the same question. In fact, this goes to your uh, opening statement, really, that affordability seems to be the crux for you uh, and may, in fact, be what you see as the main issue that Vermonters might be facing but that also might be different than what the state may be facing as their primary issue. Can you speak to those two issues and why uh, you're running and what you think uh, your solution to those are? Absolutely. I, I would say that affordability is really a, a main issue, really on, on both places, as, as both of the other candidates have really talked about. You know, the state struggling to afford the supports that people need and find the revenue for that is certainly a challenge. And I think one of the things that really um, is striking to me is again the lack of diversity of voices at the table. I think that really transformative solutions happen when there isn't a partisan divide and when all voices with different opinions and differing stories and backgrounds are able to come to the table and really work together to build something new. It really allows for someone to build something that no one person could come up with on their own. And so I think that that is one sort of a multifaceted piece for me. And then in terms of one single, you know, issue for everyone. Again, it is really, I think, affordability. There's a huge percentage of Vermonters that struggle to make ends meet, that struggle paycheck to paycheck, that can't pay for health insurance. I personally have been in the position as a young person here where I had to choose, do I pay for health care or do I pay for rent? And that's not a choice that any Vermonter should have to make. Mm, yeah. uh, we'll move right on here uh, and we'll uh, begin with you, uh, uh, Mary Beth. You, you talked about systems and I kind of want to bring this in. And What system is broken and what system needs to sort of knit together in order to solve this problem? What, where's the breakdown that you see in the systems that needs to be addressed? Well, it depends on what system you're talking about. I mean, there are so many different systems that are at operation here in the state. Um, you know, I think that um, the beauty of Vermont is that we have people who run into people who run these various systems, the prison system, the um, you know, how to, how to clean up Lake Champlain, all of these different systems, people can know each other. They can sit down at the table and really hammer out solutions. My husband runs Spectrum Youth and Family Services, and I'm always amazed at how he um, will run into someone in the grocery store or at the local Little League field, and a conversation begins, and there's conversation about, okay, how do we improve this? How do we get more youth being served by our multicultural youth program or whatever the issue is. So I feel like that's the, that's the thing that we need to continu continue to leverage is people coming together. I think having diverse voices at the table is, a, is very, very important. There are new American communities, there are people living on the margins who don't have voices at the table. Do you, I, I wanna just uh, interject here, do you see that that is not occurring 
right now at the state level, that there isn't uh, a, a wide range of voices being heard at the table now? I think that there is great openness to it on the part of um, state leaders. I think generally in Vermont, people are very open to that idea and concept, mm -hmm. but I don't know that it's actually happening. I mean, I personally was really, um, disturbed by the fact that one of our legislators um, resigned her seat because mm. of um, yes. racial harassment, discrimination. I mean, you know, I have to ask the question, like, what is that about? Yeah. You know, what's going on that that voice can't fully um, express itself and represent itself that, without fear. yeah, without fear or retaliation. So I think there is much more work we can do um, across parties um, to really bring those creative solutions together and start talking about how we can improve systems. Systems. What's broken? What needs to change in order for systems to act uh, and work more efficiently and bring in more voices? Absolutely. Again, I think the first thing to that needs to change is that we need to start talking to each other. You know, I look at what happened in this in-state government last year where the state government came up against a government shutdown because people weren't talking or willing to compromise. And I really feel like that is the first step to any type of systems change, is bringing everyone to the table openly and hearing different points of view. You know, um, that from there, it, it becomes about compromise and, and building things together. I think that that is one place that we start. And when I look at the voices represented in our state house, I don't see a diversity of voice. Like mm. I said, I didn't. I don't see our one and only female of color representative has stepped down. We have very limited diversity in our representation from all aspects. And I think one important thing to ask when we're talking about the way systems work is the people that are using the systems. Mm. What can we do better for them, and how can we better meet their needs? Oftentimes, I think that when we run systems in a way that's sort of top down, mm. we do a lot of thinking about things that we think would work without having actually have to use those systems and not actually knowing what we actually need. And so I think another way to really build better systems is to start first by asking, well, what do the people using these systems actually need? Mm -hmm. What do they think? Wonderful. Uh, and uh, Linda, we'll move on to you. Systems, uh, what's working, what's not? What uh, uh, do you think you can affect to try to make these systems uh, work more effectively for Vermonters? Um, I will say that uh, over the years, I have certainly tried to do that. Um, I have been known in the legislature as someone who can work across party lines, um, deal with people. Uh, one of my best friends in the legislature is a, Rep is a Democrat from Southern Vermont, mm -hmm. and we just mesh, she and I, uh, and her name is Linda also, so we really mesh well uh, you know, on, on, on various issues. Um, but in addition to which, as a legislator, I deal with the system of people who call me and people who ask me mm. to help them out. I received a phone call today from someone I can't discuss what they were talking about, but I said, you know, I'm gonna talk to people, I'm gonna get involved in that, and there's a good possibility if I get back to Montpelier, I'll introduce some kind of a bill that will help you with the situation. And it's a very unusual situation. But I have worked with people uh, who have social security issues, taxes, when the whole issue of the changes that were coming down from Washington for taxes, I spent a lot of time on the phone with uh, uh, residents of Essex who were yeah. saying, you gotta help me out here. And so I was de dealing with that. So I think that is a direct way 
to, to use the system that I have by being in the legislature to help individuals. I think I, while obviously I am happy to serve in the legislature and I certainly want to go back to Montpelier, but I really do enjoy and feel good about serving those people who call me up and say, I got a problem, can you help me? And it's gone from homelessness to child welfare, uh, as I said, to, to social security, to taxes and that kind of thing. It, it, so to me, that's how I deal with the system. Very good. Uh, we're going to move right on, and Tanya, we'll move uh, to you on this question here. Well, we're in an era of no new taxes, no new fees, uh, and the state has some issues uh, that need funding. Climate change, uh, cleaning up our lakes and streams. Uh, this public access television station is uh, facing falling revenue. Uh, where do we look for revenue? Where do these initiatives find revenue? Can you speak a little bit about that uh, as to where you think this revenue should come from for some of these uh, important topics that may not directly impact people's uh, pocketbook immediately, but there is a long-term impact, again, whether it's funding public access channels uh, and, and uh, right to free speech and democracy or cleaning up our lakes and streams, which, uh, you know, bring clean drinking water and travel and tourism dollars into the state. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big question with yeah. a lot of asks. There's a lot in there, I know. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and I, I, I think that the money needs to come from diverse sources. I think that you can't ask to fund things without raising revenue, as you've pointed to, and a diversity of revenue is the most healthy stream of revenue. When I think about you know, public access media, I, I mean, for me, that is a, a means for people to access democracy and free speech, and I think that it is really important, and we do face a climate where um, cable is not thriving as it used to, and so I think about in that, you know, that specific instance, a diversity of Funding sources, you know, I know that CCTV does have a membership drive each year, and that's one place where they can get funding. But I also consider, you know, municipalities access public television, and is there a way to do a line item in a, in a municipality's budget? Is there a way to link it to internet funding? You know, and that I think goes across the board. If we're talking about, you know, tourism and agriculture, Vermont's really got three main sources of revenue, and that is agriculture, tourism, and manufacturing. And so thinking about within each of those systems, where are the places where we can meet needs and raise funds? And I also think when we're talking about taxes, it isn't necessarily about new taxes, but about creating transparency and restructuring a tax system mm. so that it asks people to pay their fair share and so that it doesn't rest the burden on working Vermonters to funnel into that system. So. Your, like I said, your question is huge, but really the, the short answer to that question is diversifying funding and creating transparent pro progressive systems that ask everyone to pay into systems that everyone are using. Very good. Uh, Linda, so this is a big question to you. It is a big question. You've been in state government for yes. so long. Where do we find yes. the money in an era of no new taxes and no new fees? First of for, all, for anything, whether it be again for, public access. Or first of all, I'll say that I'm not adverse to new fees. I think fees are uh, fees are collected so that they can pay for the the object of those fees. In other words, if you know if you're if you're raising the license plate fee, so we've obviously got to take care of our roads and bridges. That'll some of that will help pay for that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not adverse to fees. And let's go to wet water quality because surprise surprise 
unlike some of my colleagues, I am very much in support of uh, a small fee to property owners uh, to help pay for the, the water quality, the waters of Vermont. Um, Where would that fee come? Would it be on a property tax would bill? Be, would it be a water it, bill? No, it would be something like a water bill, but I would vision, envision it as a utility bill for, the, for property owners uh, that would go directly to, uh, as I said, like a utility bill, directly to funding cleanup of the of the of the lake and I refer everybody says the lake but we we need Waterways, to talk about every water every, mm -hmm. all the water in the state of Vermont sure. uh, our treasurer Beth Pierce has been an advocate of this for a long time uh, we, she and I have spoken about this several times I think that there will have to be uh, you know consideration made as to I have you know three quarters of an acre lot so my, my amount could be considerably less than say, you know, somebody who's got 10 acres or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's something that should be studied because there's just no other way. You know, we have to come up with a way and I don't think there is a, a, another way to, to, to do this on a, on a basis that will be money that will be continuing to come in. So yes, absolutely for water, you know, water quality. I just think that is one, I mean, I hear that. I serve on a special committee in the legislature that deals a lot with agricultural issues. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a huge onus placed on our farmers mm -hmm. to be responsible for cleaning up, which is not necessarily, I mean, they obviously have a lot to do with it because of the manure and everything else. But the fact of the matter is, I've had farmers say to me, accept that, excuse me, Burlington and Rutland are not taking care of their infrastructure, right. and where right. and, and where are they paying for that? Right. So, right. so yes. you know, so I, you know, I real, I, I've dealt with a lot of farmers, and they have a real problem because they are being hit by requiring to do thousands of dollars worth of work on their property to keep the waters out of our lakes and rivers, and I think that's a real major problem. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Mary Beth, we'll move on to you. We're in an era of no new fees and taxes. Where do we find money for all the projects that the state needs? Um, uh, we did hear, uh, uh, Linda here, uh, level a charge that um, uh, her uh, competitors aren't supporting uh, a fee mm -hmm. like a water uh, bill to help clean up the lake and our uh, waterways. Can you respond to that? And again, the overall question about Sure, uh, I mean, honestly, I think the time has come, like there's nothing more important than the health of our lake, rivers, and streams. We have to, we're, we're so tied to tourism and um, to the lake and all that it brings in terms of um, revenue from tourism that we have to figure out how to keep it clean, how to make sure that St. Albans Bay is not closed for part of the year. I mean, these are priorities. And, and I'm in agreement that um, I think that that's one issue. I, I would not be opposed to any kind of fee like that. I feel like there are definitely people who are not paying their fair share that they need, you know, we need to figure out where those kind of loopholes are and ensure that people are contributing to the well-being. As they're using it, they're contributing. Um, I also think that we need to really, you know, kind of the other prong of my approach is really to put our energies into economic development and really undergirding our small business. Mm -hmm. Our small businesses, I hear it over and over again that they are very challenged to get up, to get startup money, to operate, to really thrive. They deal with a lot of 
issues at the local level that make it very challenging for them. And um, I think that it's very important that, you know, if we look at some of our greatest examples in our communities, the dealer.coms, the VEICs, they all started out as small groups of people who got a, kind of a good idea going and then became major employers in our areas. You know, we're not going to be rescued by some giant firm like Amazon mm. in Vermont. That's just not going to happen. So I think on the one hand, yes, we need fees, um, you know, within reason that are not going to tax, you know, that are going to distribute that impact. But we also need to be investing and supporting and undergirding our small business development. It's essential in this state. Right. Uh, Can I respond? Yes, Can please. Can I just yeah. add to something that Mary sure. Beth has said? And then we'll ask uh, Tanya to respond as okay. well. Okay, great. Um, you, the, the issue of uh, small businesses, 90% of the businesses in the state of Vermont have 20 or fewer employees. So we do have a huge number of small businesses. I want to give some some applause to the administration and to those of us who worked on the bill in, in the legislature this session, which was uh, S85, which is setting up a one-stop spot within the government for small businesses to come in and ask all the questions, what kind of permits do I need? Where do I have to go for this? How do I have to do for this? How do that? We, we set that up, we're gonna, it's gonna be starting right now. Uh, getting the plans together for putting it together. Um, I don't know if anyone heard about the uh, Stonecutters uh, distillery that had this really hard problem of, of opening a small uh, uh, cafe in Burlington. And when I saw the report about them, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, S85 would have helped them out if we'd had it in effect at that point in time. So yes, we really, really need to take care of our small business because they're the ones, they're the ones that take care of the tourists, you know, that offer all the amenities to the tourists and that kind of thing. We absolutely need to do our, for our small businesses. Very good. Tanya, a response? I absolutely agree that we need to support small businesses. I have a small private practice in Essex and I certainly recognize the importance of supporting our small businesses. And I also think we need to pay people a livable wage so that they can funnel into the economy and buy at those small businesses. Mm -hmm. I think that it is really important and there's multiple prongs to supporting a healthy economy. We also need to make sure that we are supporting our farmers and the people in agriculture. You know, as I said, there are those three prongs to our big in Vermont in economic picture and one of those pictures is our agricultural industry and many of them are struggling. You know, many of the people who are producing our food are food insecure themselves and that is a real problem. I think that we need to find ways that we support them while also ensuring that they are you know, supporting our environment. And I think that many of the farmers that I've spoken to very much want to be maintaining nutrients so they're not run off into our water and they need supports to do so. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. And one of those ways is actually really supporting them with business supports and business education so that they can make the best of the work that they're doing because they're providing our food. So I think that there's so many pieces and when you affect one piece of the puzzle, another piece is impacted. So whether we leverage a water, you know, a water property tax, that raises another question of what are the other things our property taxes are paying for. Mm -hmm. And I would agree that our property taxes should be paying for the things our properties impact and we should find a better way and a more equitable way to fund our education system. Uh, we're gonna move right on here and I'm gonna do sort of a lightning round here, uh, and we'll start with you, Linda. Do you believe health care is a right? 
I don't necessarily believe healthcare is a right, mm -hmm. okay? I think healthcare is something that people deserve, but there's a difference between, I think, deserving and a right is, is how I break it up. I think that we should do everything that we can possibly do to uh, develop healthcare for people who, who need healthcare and to make sure that we have funding for those people who basically can't afford health care. I'm very beneficial, you know, I'm in benefit because I, excuse me, I'm on <laughs> Medicare. <laughs> but, you know, there are many people who aren't. And I think that we have to make health care affordable, reasonable, um, available, and we have to do everything we can to help those who are having a difficult time obtaining health care. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, we're moving right yeah, on. It was a little, little lightning round. Yeah. Mary Beth Redman, health care, is it a right? Yes, it's a basic human right that every person deserves. I absolutely believe that. Um, I think that UVM is doing, uh, UVM Medical Center and Dartmouth-Hitchcock are doing some really interesting work right now, some innovative pilots in some of the hospitals throughout the state, attempting that cost containment, shifting from fee-for-service to more of a population-based approach. They're having good results. They're keeping costs contained. Absolutely everyone, from the, pers the homeless person walking on the street to the most well-resourced person, we all need health care in order to function well in this society. Tanya, health care, a right or uh, a need? Health care is both a right and a need. We are the only OECD nation that doesn't guarantee health care to its citizens, and the single greatest predictor of long-term health outcomes in this country is wealth, and that, to me, is wrong. I think if we move towards a Medicare for all type system, we can both cost contain and guarantee that people have access to health care that they need. One important first step to that could be universal primary care, primary care for all individuals, which would decrease the long-term spending because people would be getting care before they were in crisis and needed catastrophic medical care. Great. Uh, uh, Mary Beth, we'll begin with uh, you with this next question here. Uh, Senate President uh, Tim Ash has indicated that he wants to float a constitutional amendment to change the term of the governor from two years to four years. Of course, this actually has to originate out of the House and all this uh, uh, other stuff for amendments and things. Do you support a four-year term for the governor? I do. I do. I do support a four-year term for the governor. I think uh, in most states it's a four-year term. I think that it's very challenging for someone to really get their feet on the ground and get going and really, um, you know, begin to develop policies and long-term, um, make long-term progress on certain issues in a two-year term. You're perpetually campaigning. Mm, yeah. Uh, Tanya, your thoughts, a two-year term or a four-year term for the governor? I would support looking into the possibility of a four-year term for the governor. I, I, like Mary Beth, think that it, when you're constantly campaigning, it can be difficult to really get your feet on the ground. And many state governments are structured in a mirror of the federal government system, and we do terms differently there. You know, the terms for our representatives look a little bit different than the terms for our, pre our president. So I would certainly support looking into what it would take to do that and really allow our governor to get their feet on the ground and really understand how those systems work before they're back to campaigning. 
Um, and uh, Linda, you certainly have a, a, a great viewpoint yes. for, to answer this question. Yes. Two or four yes. years, what do you think? Oh, four years, absolutely. And I believe in four years for all of the uh, statewide offices, mm -hmm. which would be governor, lieutenant governor, uh, Secretary of State, Treasurer, uh, Auditor of Accounts, etc. Um, because, as as Mary Beth said, it's too difficult. It's not so difficult if you're a, if you're a re-elected governor, but if you're a first timer, you barely have your staff. You barely have the departments functioning really, really well before you have to already start thinking about re-election. Now, this has been proposed in the legislature uh, several times in the course of the time that I have been there. It has failed to move forward. But even if it should move forward, it will take six years for it to go through the legislative process because it has to be approved by one le two-year legislature, then by the next two-year legislature, and then it goes out as a referendum through the entire state. Mm. So it's anticipated that it would take six years, but boy, I think we should start doing that. And so I'm going to uh, just continue on this, and this again is a little bit more lightning here. Uh, there has been talk about combining the governor and lieutenant governor as a ticket-based uh, uh, campaign, sort of like the president and vice president. Do you support that? No. Okay. I think it's no. just neat. I think it's neat that we are one of the few states that we have an independent running governor and an independent running lieutenant governor. It gives a little um, play on what's going on and I think it gives a little enthusiasm for the electorate. Okay. Uh, one ticket for both the offices or uh, us? I, I, I like our unique system. I think that in some ways, you know, even though the lieutenant governor has a different role than the governor, I think it is a nice little check, you know, a nice little check. You could perhaps have people from different parties and new ideas. You don't just have someone kind of in their little glass castle alone. Okay, great. And uh, Tanya, your thoughts too, uh, uh, a split ticket or a unified ticket for governor, lieutenant governor? I think given my belief in the diversity of voices, I, you know my answer is going to be no, I wouldn't support that. I want more diversity and more opinions at the table, not less. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to wrap up now and ask for our uh, final candidate statements from each candidate. It's an opportunity for each of them to summarize their candidacy, why they are running, and to speak to any topics that we weren't able to cover here this evening. We ask that they keep their comments to about two minutes each. Tanya, we'll begin with you. Wonderful. Um, I really want to fight for a Vermont that works for everyone. As I said, I've had my own experiences where Vermont didn't really work for me. It didn't really work for my neighbors, and it certainly hasn't worked for the people coming through my office. And I don't think that that's right. I think that we live in a beautiful state, and people should be able to afford to live here and thrive here and have all of their needs met here. I think we need to fight hard to increase affordability, to build diversity, and to build the different voices at the table so that everyone is heard and everyone is supported. I want to continue to build community and build on our education, as I think that there are places where our education system could be stronger with tr with increased trade education and increased pathways for people who the traditional education system isn't serving. And I really want to fight for full participation and to bring all voices to the table. And I think that we need to 
really measure our success by how well everyone is doing and not how well a small percentage of people are doing. And so for me, I come to the table with my own experience of growing up in Essex and being someone who is working with a lot of the people whose voices aren't being heard and a lot of the people who, Vermont is not working for them and I really wanna fight so that they have a place at the table and, and so that they don't have to fight as hard as I felt like I've had to fight to be here and appreciate everything the state has to offer. Very good, Tanya Vyhovsky, thank you. Uh, Linda Myers will uh, ask you for your final statement. Thank you. Um, I've served the town of Essex for most of the 40 years that I have lived here. My husband and I moved here in 1978. We are not native Vermonters, but I have to tell you that we really adopted the state. It is like in our hearts, it was in our hearts. Um, I've done, uh, you know, I've worked to, with a paying job as, as a journalist in this state. I, I've done um, uh, work without uh, benefit of pay. Uh, I coached at Essex High School for years. Uh, I've gotten to know the people of Essex and I'm hoping that uh, because of their knowledge of me and what they uh, are uh, telling me that they are interested in, that they will send me back to Montpelier for two more years. Very good. Linda Myers, thank you so much. Mary Beth Redmond, your final candidate statement. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, mention one system that I think is working, um, and that is the, the dealing with the opiate, epi opiate epidemic. Um, I feel like we have come up with a system, a hub and spoke system, that is actually addressing that issue. We have wait lists totally down. So, and, and that really has been the coming together of people at all of these different levels. I wanted to just throw that in there. Nice. Um, lastly, I'm a, a parent of an Essex uh, High School student. My, um, I think the schools are one of the strongest aspects of our local Vermont communities. And so I really want to work to keep the schools strong, to ensure that they're preparing our next generation of workers for success and that um, our young people are staying locally. I feel like my, um, my work in Vermont has been about working with people on the margins, the underrepresented, accompanying them, walking alongside them, really um, where the rubber hits the road, understanding their stories and realities, and working at systems change. I feel like I have this great combination of both, and I really want to bring those skills along with all of my communication abilities and skill sets to the legislature. I think it will be a great addition to um, the good work that's already being done there. Very good. My thanks to Mary Beth Redmond, to Tanya Vihovsky, and to Linda Myers for joining us here this evening for a conversation about why they want to return or uh, in their uh, initial instances uh, <laughs> go to the State House and represent their district in Montpelier. For all of us here at Channel 17, we want to thank you and remind you that for a full schedule of uh, forums, you can visit our website, ch17.tv, and a reminder that early voting is already underway here in the state of Vermont. You can go to your town clerk, register to vote, and cast your ballot on the same day. And don't forget to join us here Tuesday, November 6th, for election night results beginning at 7 o'clock. For all of us at Town Meeting Television, I'm Matt Kelly. Thank you for watching.